This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 114 of Go To Grandma. I'm your GTG, or your go-to grandma, Kathy Buckworth, and this episode is airing on Saturday, October the 14th. We have a jam-packed show today, so let's get into it. First up, Rob and Carolyn Thompson tell us about Living at Home, a company they started to help seniors live and move around safely in their homes. Then we move right out as Journeywoman CEO Carolyn Ray tells us what inspires her to travel and how she helps mature solo women travelers travel safely. If you are a traveler, do you know what to pack and how to do it? Aaron Reynolds from Samsonite provides us with some pro tips. And our Take 5 with RBC interview delves into Indigenous trusts and how they help to safely protect the wealth of these communities now and for the future. I can safely say it's a great episode. Rob and Carolyn Thompson are up first. Caroline and Rob Thompson started Living at Home Limited after seeing how many seniors were being affected by falls, which landed them in hospital and sometimes long-term care or retirement homes. Their goal is to help seniors living in their own homes safely for longer. Living at Home provides registered occupational and physiotherapists to come to your home in the GTA and perform a full assessment of the property and provide you with a full written review of suggestions and recommendations on how you can better equip your home to help you avoid costly falls. Good morning, Rob and Caroline Thompson. Thanks so much for coming in studio today at GoToGrandma. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I love this topic and I love this business, the service that you've started. But tell me, what was the impetus? Why did you decide to start this business living at home? Well, I've been a physiotherapist for over 25 years and I specialize in seniors and neurorehabilitation. And I've always had a focus for seniors to maintain their independence through strengthening, mobility and balance training. But over the years, I've seen many clients who have unfortunately had a fall, primarily at home, and some with quite serious injuries, so head injuries or hip fractures. And what we're finding is that public health tends to have more of a reactive approach. So uh, what we're aiming to do is raise awareness to try and to have more of a proactive approach. So we're wanting to provide physio or occupational therapists to do an assessment of the home and provide recommendations to help reduce risks of falling. So our main aim is for clients to be able to take back control, eliminate, eliminate risks of falls and hopefully remain living at home independently for longer. And, you know, it only potentially only takes one bad fall for someone to land in the hospital. Um, and according to Public Health Canada, uh, falls cause 85% of seniors injury related hospitalization and then a whopping 95% of all hip fractures. So if we can stop the frequency and the severity uh, of these falls, then we can keep more uh, older adults out of the hospital and living at home, living independently. So currently you can access these services through OHIP, but again, it's done normally on a reactive basis once the fall has actually happened. And again, we're trying to be proactive. When we think about how uh, a dentist tells you to brush and floss uh, in order to prevent tooth decay and gum disease, we all do that because it's preventative medicine. And we want to do the same thing. And that, that same attitude applies uh, regardless of, of whether you're 60, 90, or 110 years old. So our aim is to provide our service to anyone who wants to be proactive about their safety in their home by looking at the home, whether it's a condo or a large home or anything in between. Um, we can help identify possible risks and help uh, provide uh, a better setup 
uh, to older adults who want to maintain independence for uh, independent living for as long as possible. I love this proactive approach, but there must be some obstacles as well that you're seeing in this community today that you're trying to help solve for. Absolutely. I think none of us really feel our age. Um, and I think this is particularly true for a lot of our older clients. They just don't feel that they necessarily need this service or that they're susceptible to having a fall. And I think sometimes equipment or walking aids can make people feel old. But what we want to sort of raise awareness is that actually you can gain independence and you could be much more active and enjoy life a lot more with just a few simple adaptations. Um, so, yeah, so we're really trying to raise awareness for preventative action take action before the need arises so decrease your risk of having a fall in the home i think it's also worth saying at this point that you know how if if you or someone you know is having multiple small falls that could be the precursor to having a, a much larger more serious fall in the future so it's the same as people mm-hmm. who have strokes you know if you're having lots of multiple small strokes we would always urge that you go and see your doctor and get advice. Um, and the same with falls. We want to have that same same reaction that if you're having lots of small falls in the home, see your doctor and get a home assessment. I think the other thing that our services provide is uh, peace of mind mm-hmm. to adult children. And so a lot of adult children have concerns about their aging parents who live independently. And if they know that an expert has, has been into the home and provided recommendations for safety, it'll make it easier on a day-to-day basis to help any kind of anxiety that the, the children, uh, the adult children may have of uh, their parents remaining at home uh, in their older age. Yeah, it's kind of like I make the reference to baby-proofing your home. You know, when you have the professionals come in, when, especially when it's your first child and you're not sure, it's, you don't know what to look for. And I assume it's the same sort of with this sort of equipment and services. You're not sure where the hazards are. Well, it's it's really not dissimilar to that. And it really is baby-proofing, but at a different age. And what you know, people don't realize is until they have a fall, what they actually need to have in there. And so really, we just urge the proactivity of it. I love it. So what is the benefit for seniors to have you come and do a home assessment and what exactly will they get out of it? So getting an assessment of your home by a registered occupational or physiotherapist will give you the knowledge and the tools uh, to keep your home uh, in a state that supports your needs as you start to age and so that you're able to age in place and stay safe for longer. It gives you the peace of mind to have the right adaptive equipment uh, to help you avoid falls uh, and you'll become more confident in your in your movement around the house, outside the house, which in turn... Uh, Um, when you have better movement, when you have better mobility, improved mobility, it generally lowers sedentary behavior. It allows you to get out to your appointments, go and see friends and help you enjoy your life a lot more rather than being stuck in the house. Absolutely. If we need more information and in order to speak with both of you about getting a home assessment, where's the best place for us to go? The best place is to check us out online. We're at www.keeplivingathome.ca or you can contact us at 647-933-9597. And I assume you service the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area, correct? We do indeed. Thank you so much for this. It's very helpful. I know I have elderly parents and the falls are a major concern for sure. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners will really appreciate this information. And that's Keep Living at Home Toronto. Thanks so much, Rob and Caroline. Thank Thank you for having us. Aaron Reynolds has worked with Samsonite Canada for over 10 years and is the luggage leader's brand manager based out of their headquarters in Stratford, Ontario. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks so much for coming on GoToGrandma this morning. Thanks for 
for having me. So I had the opportunity to try out one of your great suitcases when I went on my Cunard cruise to Norway, and I needed to pack so many different things, so many different outfits, that it was a great large suitcase. But that's the trick, isn't it? Like, what do you think are the key things that different types of travelers want to look for when they're shopping for luggage? So let's start with something like that, a cruise traveler. What am I looking for there? Sure. So I think for a cruise, uh, as you would have experienced on your Norway trip, it's a really good idea to pack for a lot of different cases. So you'll probably want a larger case. Mm -hmm. Usually there's lots of fancy dinners and you have excursions where you might want to pack, you know, a set of hiking shoes Mm -hmm. or boots as well as, you know, variety of clothing, sweaters, that type of thing. So I would definitely suggest packing a bigger case. But you can look at um, sharing a large suitcase if you're traveling with your partner or kids. Um, That's always an option, too. And one of the important things, we hear large cases. Well, I don't want the case itself to weigh too much, right? So it puts me over at the airport. It's just too heavy to haul around. So the one that you sent me only weighed 10 pounds, which is something we also want to look for in a large case. Agreed. And I think a lot of people still have the concept of the old-fashioned style hard side suitcases where they're really heavy Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. But there's been so many innovations with materials that are used that hard side can be just as light, if not lighter, than soft side now. So definitely don't rule out the hard side cases either. Absolutely. And one thing I liked about this suitcase too is we I call one the deep dive, you know, where you zip it at the top and it's yeah. all open versus the split case. Um, what are the different advantages and disadvantages, I guess, of these cases? Yeah, I think it depends. Sometimes if you have a smaller footprint, if you're in a small room or on a cruise ship or something where the room's a bit smaller, uh, you might be worried about the footprint when you open the case. Mm-hmm. There are some solutions for that. I think if you have a deep dive sort of case, packing cubes can come in really handy to make that a little more manageable so your stuff doesn't get lost inside. But I myself like to like to travel with a split case. I like I the like split breaking. case, too. And I am, if, for people who don't know what this is, I am a cube packer as well, a roll and cube, right? So oh, rolling my yeah. clothes and then zipping into separate cubes that you put into your suitcase, it has changed the way that I travel. So when we're looking for luggage, we want to look for those cubes. But what about someone who is buying their first piece of, you know, real luggage, like real, they're going to have this for years. What sorts of things should they look for? I think you should look at what kind of packer. So give some thought into whether you're a person who likes lots of pockets that are handy because maybe you might lean towards a soft side case that might have more pockets on the outside. If you're someone who likes to travel with a lot of electronics, it's important to you know consider does it have a charging spot? So right. you know some Samsung cases have a built-in charger um, holder so you can charge on the go and USB ports that kind of come out of the case so you don't have to open your case necessarily to charge you know whatever Mm -hmm. you're traveling with as well with kids if you're traveling with kids if you're you know have a multi-generational travel um, happening which I see a lot of these days you know bring a case that is kid appropriate so maybe buy them their own case Something they can ride around on is always fun at the airport. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they get tired, you know, at the airport, you have long lines or long waits. Having something that they can sit on can be really handy, too. So key. And one of the things that can be frustrating is when you get to the baggage carousel, all the bags look the same, the red ones and the black ones. So what items do you carry that are very identifiable? I think you have some pretty specialized ones. 
Yeah, I love traveling with color, actually. So I'll always pick a colorful suitcase. American Tourister sells a lot of bright colors that are really easily identifiable, which is always great. You can do things like having certain tags, colorful tags that are identifiable if you have like a black suitcase. And then also if you buy a set, uh, like a three-piece set of luggage, you'll have the carry-on with you. So that can also help identify your you can kind of look at your carry on and be like, okay, that matches what this looks like. Absolutely, because sometimes, yeah, you're tempted to pick up the wrong bag as they're whipping by right yeah. on the carousel. My yeah. my last piece of advice would be actually to get an air tag, right? Those are amazing in your luggage and if you're checking a bag and you want to find it at the other end. Absolutely, yep. I've used air tags on our last two trips, actually. And Samplant has a really cool case called Elevation. It's a collection, and they come with built-in air tag holders. Oh. So you buy your air tag, and it has a fancy little spot that it just pops into, which is really convenient. Oh, that's so cool. There's so many innovations. My kids always joke about how long it took to get wheels on the bottom of luggage. We've come a <laughs> long way from there, Erin. I thank you for this. If people want more information on Samsonite luggage, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to our website at www.samsonite.ca or follow us on our social channels at Samsonite Canada. Thank you so much for this, Erin. Yeah, thanks so much. In 2019, Carolyn Ray was invited to carry on the legacy of the iconic solo travel publication Journey Woman, which will celebrate its 30th anniversary in 2024. She was named one of the most influential women in travel by Travel Pulse for her work bringing awareness to the influence of mature women in travel and advocating for issues such as diversity and inclusion in travel, human trafficking, ageism, and accessibility. Good morning, Carolyn. Thanks so much for being in studio with me today. Oh, thank you, Kathy. I love everything you do, and I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. That's so nice. And I'm so glad to catch you here because you travel all the time. This is your job, your full-time job. How has travel changed you, Carolyn? Well, travel has really changed my entire life. When I turned 50, I had just come home from a transformational trip to Kenya with my daughter. And at that point, I realized that I was heading in the wrong direction. You know, consumerism. I had a house up in Markham, north of Toronto. And most of my time was spent acquiring things instead of acquiring experiences. And so in that moment of coming home and looking around my house after being in Kenya for a few weeks, I just decided that I had to do something different with my life. And so I auctioned off my whole house in about six weeks, sold everything. I know you've talked about downsizing too. It's quite a process. I can tell you doing it in six weeks is absolutely insane. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) And gave up my car. And I just decided I wanted to travel the world and learn whatever I could. And that was a real, that was a real turning point for me to kind of you know, decide not to do what everybody else at my age was doing and to do something different. And along comes Evelyn Hannon and Journey Woman. Now, Evelyn has sadly passed, but in 2019, you looked to take over her business, Journey Woman. Tell me about that. That was a very random lunch that Erica M and I had. Erica's her daughter. Mm-hmm. And and at the time, Evelyn and Erica were looking for somebody to carry on uh, with Journey Woman. I was not a travel writer. I knew nothing about the travel business, but... I think what they saw, and Erica is really visionary, I think, with so many of, of you know the way she thinks, she saw that her mother and I had the same values. And 
she wanted somebody to take over her mother's legacy that would carry on with those values. So I made kind of an intuitive decision to uh, to step into something new and completely reinvent myself as a travel writer. And Journey Woman focuses on solo travel for women, for mature women. So one of the things we think about as mature women is, are we too old to travel and is it unsafe? So can you give me some sort of thoughts around safe and unsafe places and some tips to share as well? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, you're never too old to travel. Perfect. <laughs> travel, cha- you know, it changes as we age. Of course, we have to take, you know, different considerations into account with health and accessibility and that kind of thing. But but I don't think... I mean, we have women in the Journey Woman community that are uh, in their 90s, in their 80s. One of my writers is 83. And these women are showing the rest of us really how to do it. And they're an inspiration to all of us. So I look at these 80 and 90-year-old women and, and 70 and 60, and, and I'm just amazed by the things that they're doing. They're so adventurous and courageous, and they're wonderful role models for all of us. In terms of safety, safety to me, I think, is definitely important when you're planning travel, especially as a solo traveler and as a woman, because it's not its not something I don't think men talk about. My partner doesn't even think of safety right. when he travels. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even occur to him to put that into the planning, yet that's what we do as women. We're always thinking about, is this a pl- safe place to, uh, for me to go? And, of course, there are a number of things that you can do to prepare to be safe. You know, I've traveled in Mexico recently. I just came back from Ecuador. Um, I've been in places, Colombia. You know, I've been to places that you might think are not safe, but I think it all depends because so many countries get painted with the same Mm -hmm. brush, and it's really different city to city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been to Mexico many times, and I know people have had issues there, but but I haven't. So what types of things do you think we should sort of uh, look out for when we're traveling somewhere like that? I think the first thing to do is to ask women who have been there mm-hmm. what their experience was like. We often get scared by negative headlines, and I think those headlines are intended to scare us. So I tend to not do that. I I like to practice something I call ground truthing, which is I want to get on the ground and find out for myself. And we have a Facebook group, and there are many on on Facebook of solo women where you can ask advice to women that are actually on the ground that have been to these places recently and see what they think. There's always a lot of, um, you know, thought into where are you going to stay. I think that's important. And we've actually just created a a directory for women to recommend safe places to stay on our website. And then there are all of the, you know, regular safety tips, like I think packing lightly is a a really great safety tip because you're able to move quickly Mm -hmm. uh, with less. I think self-defense training is a really good idea for people, even if you only learn how to scream. Mm -hmm. And then there are all kinds of safety tips, you know, trust your intuition, um, you know, be aware, don't drink at night. You know, there's lots of, of things like that. All that you on can your do. website, all of on the website. So that's where we go because you're right, it varies place by place as well, and time of the year, maybe all kinds of different things. We're going to travel. So you're not a grandma, but you are, you are, but I'd let you on the show anyway. Yeah, but, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but as a single mom, what do you hope to teach your daughter? You mentioned right off the top traveling with your daughter. What will your legacy be with her? I think as a single mother, you know, what I didn't realize until I was probably in my 50s is that she's watching every move that I make. And I didn't really realize that until now she's 23. And people say to me all the time, oh, she's a lot like you. And I say, well, she's not. She's her own person. But I want to teach her that that women are strong, that we are powerful, 
that she can do anything she dreams of, and that she can make a difference in the world. And I see that in her. I see that in the, you know, she's just completed her master's. She's, she did a dissertation on um, violence against marginalized women. She is, she is truly stepping up, and I think that's what we need the next generation to do. Well, she sounds amazing, as are you. And where can we find y- you online, Carolyn? Everything is at journeywoman.com. So we have lots of articles. We have tips, safety tips. We also have a site, a directory site, where you can find tours if you want to get started by going on a tour or a retreat uh, or a small ship, which is another area that that we're seeing a lot of growth in. Thank you so much for this today, Carolyn. I learn a lot, and I'm going to go to your website to plan my next trip. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kathy. Jemison Jackson is of European settler descent and lives in Kelowna on the traditional and unceded territory of the Silk people of the Okanagan Nation. She is the regional vice president for RBC Royal Trust in the British Columbia region and the national director of Indigenous Wealth. With over 20 years experience working with Indigenous communities, she provides leadership to a team of trust professionals who focus exclusively on working with and for Indigenous communities who have established communal trusts. Good morning, Jemison. Thank you so much for being part of our Take 5 with RBC interview series today. Thank you for having me, Kathy. Now, trusts are commonly used to safeguard assets for future generations. How are Indigenous communities using trusts to preserve wealth and to meet financial goals today and for future generations? Yeah, that's right. Trusts have typically been used in family estate planning to hold assets for beneficiaries and provide specific guidelines on how and when the money can be spent. Trusts can also be very effective for Indigenous communities looking to set aside and invest assets that will benefit their members and citizens today and over the long term. In fact, over the last 30 years, as governments have moved towards settling long-outstanding claims for breach of treaty or Indigenous rights infringements, it has become increasingly common with Indigenous communities to think about setting up a trust. Many communities have determined that compensation received by way of settlement with the federal or provincial government, or even sometimes through negotiated agreements with industry working on traditional Indigenous lands, should be protected and preserved for future generations. In this way, the funds can be invested and grown for the long term, and income that is earned can be spent on the needs of today. Priorities vary from community to community and may include cultural and language preservation, economic development, education, health, and programs for elders and youth. And in recent years, we've also seen communities draft trusts to allow them to leverage the capital of the trust in order to obtain loans. This provides access to funding that may not have otherwise been available to the community and provides for greater participation in the economy, which is an important step in economic reconciliation. What are some of the considerations that Indigenous communities take into account as part of the planning for their trusts? There's tension with any trust between wanting to grow and preserve the capital of the trust and wanting to provide an income stream for beneficiaries to use today. Communities take this into consideration and through community consultation determine the priorities that are most important for them. The nation determines their own priorities. They make the rules based on what's important to the membership. One simple way to think about these trusts is as a money tree. The trunk of the tree is the capital of the trust that must be preserved. The leaves may be harvested for spending, and sometimes communities want to have the ability to take a branch off the tree to build housing or buy land. Each community drafts their trust to suit their needs and priorities. They're all different because each community is unique. But even though the rules are all different, there are some themes that we see across communities. Your listeners may be interested to know that elder care is a real priority for many communities. 
So some trusts will specifically reference that one of the purposes for spending is to support programs for elders. This could include building an elder's lodge or medical supports or income top-ups. We've seen some really creative things done in trust recently. How are Indigenous communities equipping themselves to manage these large settlements? That's a great question. A number of years ago, I heard one chief say that their community was moving away from managing poverty and changing course to manage financial wealth. As a result of that type of shift, financial literacy has increasingly been an important topic identified by communities. There are resources that communities can access. One specifically that RBC offers is the Financial Literacy for Indigenous Programs course. This is a free online program that goes through several modules and provides information about money management, including saving, banking, and investing. It's accessible on our public website at www.rbc.com, Financial Literacy for Indigenous Peoples. Communities will also invite their service providers, think accountants, bankers, investment managers, into the community to provide workshops on financial literacy to leadership and, and membership. These can be tailored to cover the topics that are most important to the individual community and provide real value. Thank you so much for this today, Jamison. If we want information on this, again, we can go to rbc.com, Financial Literacy for Indigenous Peoples, RBC. And for other trusts and estate matters, of course, we can also visit rbc.com slash royal trust. Thanks again. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I feel a certain calm. There is safety in the midst of danger. What would life be if we had no courage to attempt anything? Vincent Van Gogh. Indeed. Next week on GoToGrandma, we have two great Canadian authors. Anne Douglas discusses the challenges and changes of an empty nest. Novelist Terry Fallis tells me about his latest bestseller, A New Season. And our Take 5 with RBC interview delves into how you can take care of your grandkids, even when you're not around anymore to do it. Thanks again for tuning in. You've been listening to me, Kathy Buckworth, your go-to grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth or email her kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.